Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox. I'm the Compliance Evangelist, and I'd like to welcome you to a special five-part series where, with Pat Harned, the CEO of the Ethics and Compliance Initiative, we take a look at ECI's 2018 Global Business Ethics Survey. In this five-part series, we take a holistic look back on the GBES 2018 survey, sharing key findings, important facts, and overall takeaways from the report and what it means for an organization and compliance practitioner moving forward. First, a word about ECI. The Ethics and Compliance Initiative it helps to empower organizations to build and sustain high-quality ethics and compliance programs. As the recognized thought leader in the field, ECI members have access to the top research, networking, and certification opportunities to empower their organization's ethics and compliance programs and their professional careers on a new dynamic path. For more information on the ECI, check out their website, ethics.org. In this episode two, we take a look at the survey released in Q2 2018, measuring the impact of ethics and compliance programs. Corporations have historically organized their ENC programs around a priority to align with legal and regulatory expectations. Yet increasingly, organizations are going above and beyond historic regulatory mitigation risk. With more and more organizations committed to higher quality programs, it begs the question, does it make a difference when companies dedicate more resources and heighten the priority for their ENC efforts? Find out in this episode. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox, back again for another episode with Pat Harned, the CEO of the Ethics and Compliance Initiative, ECI. And we're taking a look at uh, ECI's 2018 Global Business Ethics Surveys. So uh, today we're going to consider uh, Q2, which was measuring the impact of ethics and compliance programs. So, Pat, once again, uh, welcome and thank you for taking the time to visit with me today. It's great to be here again with you, Tom. Thanks for having me. And Pat, I have to say, this is really one of my favorite ones because uh, as the nuts and bolts guy, uh, ECI really focuses on what is what are the nuts and bolts and uh, how you phrase it, a high quality program. So if I could just really start with that, what is ECI and what does more importantly its members see as the elements of a high quality program and why is this perception so important? Well, thanks for your kind words about this study. This is by far my favorite report that I think I have seen us put out in the history of my being with ECI. And this is my 15th year um, in the CEO chair of this organization. So that's that's saying something. We as an organization are both a research organization, but also a membership organization of, of companies and nonprofits and government entities that are committed to building and sustaining what we call a high quality ethics and compliance program. And over the years, we've certainly as an industry talked about um, what does it mean to have an effective program? And very often in our industry, by default, we talk about the minimum standard, the expectations of enforcement agencies or regulators or um, language in regulation or the law. And one of the things that ECI has wondered about over the years is whether that really is an adequate definition of a very strong ethics and compliance program. So we had convened a blue ribbon panel in 2016 that helped us to work out a definition of what a high quality program might look like. 
And this Q2 study was our effort to actually look at data from employees and figure out, can we prove that a higher quality program makes a bigger difference than having no program in place or having a minimum standard program? And the, um, I guess the, the, what you found was, or perhaps I should ask, what does or why does program quality matter? Program quality makes a huge difference. And I, I, if it's okay, Tom, I'll just take a step back and tell you very quickly what goes into a high-quality program. So we Please. define it in terms of principles because it's very hard to say there's a certain number of steps or very specific things that every company does because each organization is different and their industry is different. But in general, when you look across companies that really get it right, there are five principles that are essentially sort of their their worldview or their the way they go about thinking about ethics and compliance, and it involves these things. First, that they see ethics and compliance as central to their business strategy. It's not just an add-on. It's not just a function. It's understood as being primary to the success of the business. The second is that risks are identified and owned and managed and mitigated by leaders across the organization. Um, a third is that leaders at all levels and across a, an organization recognize that they have an impact and a responsibility to build and sustain a culture of integrity. Um, the fourth is that they, the organization creates an environment where people are encouraged and protected to come forward and report wrongdoing. And the fifth thing is that people are held accountable if they violate the standards. Um, and in past reports we've done, we've elaborated on that. What are some of the practices? What does it actually look like? That's all available to the public on our website. Um, but overall, we also look at certain kinds of outcomes. Do people observe misconduct? Are they willing to report it? Will they raise bad news? Do they have strong perceptions of um, their leader's commitment to integrity? And we call those ethics program outcomes. And what we found was that when an organization has a high-quality ethics and compliance programs, those outcomes are 10 times better than in an organization with a minimum standard program or no program at all. And across the board, metric by metric, what we found in this study is that the higher the quality of the program, the better the outcomes. So Pat, were you able to uh, take a look at whether uh, how employees might have been satisfied if they worked at a company with a high-quality program and uh, what the satisfaction rates were? Yeah, and the results were really astounding. In organizations with high-quality programs, 94% of employees who observed wrongdoing reported it to management, 94%. Um, and not only that, 93% of them were, were satisfied with the reporting process. And we all know that in a lot of workplaces, you don't always make decisions when you get reports in, in taking disciplinary action that 
satisfy the reporter. Um, and that's not really what we're measuring. We're measuring that the employee believed that the process was fair and objective, uh, that it was a good process, and they felt that they that it was a worthwhile experience to come forward and report. Pat, with uh, specifically regarding the five five principles, it occurs to me that these are really broad enough to uh, accomplish the goal that you stated, which was to have something that would really help all companies understand how to create a high quality program. Is it your sense that these principles are broad enough uh, for that and that really almost almost or even every company can work within the context or parameter of these five principles? I think so. And, and certainly when we convened this Blue Ribbon panel, and we've actually convened some additional working groups of practitioners since then, um, that has been a very big part of the conversation, whether or not it's great to have a definition, but if you can't really um, live it out, no matter what kind of organization you have, then it's not really a helpful guideline. And so certainly what we tried to do was to think about um, what would be some of the objectives of an organization that is a large multinational or a small and medium-sized enterprise? Or what would it look like if you were a government agency trying to live out these principles in your own context? So there are um, there is a report we did called Principles and Practices of High-Quality Programs that lists a number of business objectives. It also provides um, examples of both good practice and pitfalls to avoid, and it runs the gamut from small organizations to very large across all sectors. Well, Pat, unfortunately, we're near the end of our time for this episode, but I'm investing today with Pat Harned. We've been considering the survey measuring the impact of ethics and compliance programs. I hope you'll join us for tomorrow's episode where we take a look at building companies where values and ethical conduct matter. Pat, uh, thank you again. I look forward to continuing the conversation. Thanks for having me. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox again. I hope you've enjoyed this episode in our five-part exploration of the Ethics and Compliance Initiative's 2018 Global Business Ethics Survey Retrospective. If you'd like more information on ECI, check out their website, eci.org. Also, if you'd like the full four-part series of the 2018 Global Business Ethics Survey, you can download each survey from the ECI website. This is Tom Fox. I'm the Compliance Evangelist. This special podcast series on ECI's 2018 Global Business Ethics Survey Retrospective has been a special presentation of the Compliance Podcast Network. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. <laughs>